Good morning to River Christian Fellowship's Resurrection Sunday morning service. Yeah, I know for a lot of people, this is probably the most different Easter you've had. At least it is for me being a pastor for over 40 years and uh, not being in a group of people on a Sunday morning. That's pretty crazy. But, you know, we're in kind of strange times right now. But we're going to have a good time anyway as we study God's Word together The only person on earth that ever beat the rap on death, and he gave us that right as well. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for you and me so that we could have eternal life. And so we're going to talk about this and what happened on that first resurrection morning. Now, something to remember, there wasn't a lot of people here on this first resurrection morning either. So don't feel all alone when you're doing this because, again, we're able to get together on camera, on our iPods and on our computers across America and around the world. So we're just going to go to prayer this morning and ask the Lord to bless this resurrection morning, this great day in which Jesus defeated death. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask that you would encourage every person, especially in this time of a lot of sorrow and a lot of anguish and a lot of isolation. Lord, we ask you that you would give us hope, just as you gave the disciples hope on that first Sunday morning, God, when you rose from the dead. And so we ask you now that as we study these words, may you bless it to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the resurrection um, account is found in all four Gospels. I think that's really great. But this morning we're going to center on John chapter 20. John 20, if you have your Bible, because this is what we're going to look at today on that great moment in time when man could actually, once again, live forever. You see, what happened back in the garden was a bad thing. Man rebelled against God, took orders from the devil, and sold the world into slavery and the human race as well. This is why in the book of John, chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious ruler of the day, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. It's not an option, it's a requirement. Why? Because there's something wrong with all of humanity. Have you seen the newspapers? Have you watched TV? Have you seen that there is something wrong with mankind? Well, the Bible says, Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, how do we do that? Well, we're going to talk more about that towards the end of the program this morning or the time we have together. But really, it's where we surrender our life to Christ. Okay, God, whatever time I got left is yours. That's what I want to do. Well, let's go ahead and look at this together as God would bless this to our hearts in Jesus' name. We find ourselves in John 20, and this is the way it starts off. And we're going to kind of look at each verse and all the neat things about it, okay? On the first day of the week, and by the way, on the first day of the week is why the New Testament church worships on Sunday, out of commemoration of Jesus raising from the dead. The law said that we keep the Sabbath, which is Saturday. Now, the Sabbath is not Sunday. Sunday is Sunday, but the early church worshiped on Sunday. Paul said, when you come together on the first day of the week, he was talking about setting aside and helping other brothers and sisters in the Lord, but he was very clear that they met on the first day of the week. But here's what's important. 
Whether your day of rest and your day of focusing upon God is Sunday or Saturday or Tuesday, if you're a police or in the, a paramedic or perhaps some other uh, service-oriented type thing for other people, your day off might be a Thursday or a Tuesday. So don't let anybody judge you, as Jesus said, according to new moons and Sabbaths, because our Sabbath rest is in Christ. He fulfilled that. Sabbath keeping was a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. But Jesus is our covenant to fulfill that day of rest. And so it says on the first day of the week. So that get, lets you know why the early church met on Sunday. There's nothing wrong with meeting on Saturday, but meeting on Saturday or Sunday doesn't make you any more of a Christian than, than, than setting aside on Tuesday because you serve other people on Saturday and Sunday. So just always remember that. So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Now, Mary Magdalene was a converted prostitute. Just goes to show there's nobody beyond the grace and the love of God. And I want you to remember this, that a lot of times the devil will try to beat you up with your past and he'll try to make you feel less than 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 a, a child of the king. But always remember, that doesn't come from God, that comes from the underworld. The Bible says there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And what that means, no one has a right to beat you up over your past. And nobody has a right to beat you up over your past either. You know, again, when sometimes people do that, people can become very judgmental and they can say, well, look what you did or look what you did, failing to look at the sin in their own life. And so remembering always that God has forgiven us, our David, King David, Old Testament, a man after God's own heart said, his promises are new every morning. Oh man, we need to remember that because we need that constant refreshing that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Now notice it says, while it was still dark, she got up very early in the morning to come and, and be with Jesus and, and to dress the body because again, uh, that was their custom to bury the body the same day that it died. And so it says, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now I think this is really important and I think a lot of times we might miss this. The rolling of the way of the tomb wasn't to let Jesus out of the tomb as much as it was to let us in to see that the tomb was empty. Again, we oftentimes forget that, that God really wants us to know what he's doing. Jesus said, henceforth, I'll no longer call you servants. I'm going to call you friends because a servant does not know what his master is doing. It's God's good pleasure to let you know what he's doing. Now, people say, well, God, what's going on in the world right now? This is crazy stuff. Well, all I can tell you is this. Stay true to God. Let your light shine. Jesus has told us these things were going to come upon the earth. I don't believe, again, we're in the tribulation period. I simply believe that these are the age of sorrows that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24. Now, the tribulation period is a lot different we find the Antichrist on the world scene. He goes out conquering and to conquer. We find wars and famines and pestilences. 
and one quarter of the world's population dies in the first six seals that are broken in Revelation chapter 6. So this is not the tribulation yet, friends. It's going to get a whole lot worse. But a lot of people are looking for answers right now. And maybe you're not a Christian. You're watching this today. I got some great news for you. If you are a Christian, there's a big lost world that needs the love that God put in you to put in them. And so as we look at this, they came early in the morning, she came early and to find the stone rolled away again to let us in to see the tomb was empty. Well, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the, is John from the book of John. And she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, again, um, I'm sure she was full of grief at this point. She thought something was wrong, that that um, the, the tomb was empty. And by the way, everything that we find uh, is in the Bible, is in the Old Testament as well. We remember that out of the rock, out of the rock came living water for the people of the children of Israel when they were in the desert dying of thirst. And out of this rock that Jesus, this tomb, you might say, came life eternal for all of us that will receive it. So notice it says in verse 3, Therefore Peter went out and the other disciple as they were going to the tomb. And they both ran together. The other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Now, probably because John was younger than Peter, um, maybe he worked out more. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason... John outran Peter, and notice it says, And him stooping down, looking in literally to the tomb, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Now, again, the reason why is because to go into a tomb where there was a dead body, you would um, defile yourself. And so John didn't go in. He stood at the door. But you know what? It's interesting here. Then Simon Peter came following him. He went into the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. Peter didn't care. He just ran into the tomb and looked and saw the linen clothes lying there. Now, this is really important for a couple of reasons. One, there was a lot of people that came along and said, well, Jesus really didn't raise from the dead His body was stolen. Well, if you're going to steal a body, you wouldn't take the linen clothes that Jesus was wrapped in and fold them up nice and neat and lay them there in the tomb. Second of all, because they were folded up nice and neat, it shows there was no struggle with Jesus. In other words, the swoon theory where Jesus was was, uh, crucified and they thought he was dead and they laid him in the cool grave and he resuscitated. Well, you wouldn't find somebody freshly resuscitated folding up their grave clothes. It just wouldn't happen. So in this, we find a couple of things. One, the body of Jesus wasn't stolen. And number two, it wasn't resuscitation because Jesus wouldn't have folded up all of his grave clothes so nice and neat. I think that's really important because uh, this is important. So verse 5, it says, And him stooping down, saw the linen clothes lying there. Now the word saw here in the original Greek means deeply considering. 
So he was deeply considering what he saw. He was, you know, like an investigative reporter or a cop on a crime scene going, whoa, what, what, what's going on here? Well, we want to know. And so he did, uh, but, and so it says, but Simon Peter came in and saw the lying, uh, clothes lying there. And the handkerchief, which had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, John, went in also, and when he saw, he believed. Now, again, I think it's interesting here that um, John goes, something something happened here. I think John started getting it, that uh, you wouldn't just fold your clothes up if it was a struggle. Someone stole the body. And this is one of the other things that we realize concerning the disciples. And if you look at, there's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it says really how a lot of the early church fathers and the disciples died. And a lot of people say, well, the disciples are the ones that stole the body. The question is, every one of the disciples, except for John, died a martyr's death. The whole question goes back, would you die for a lie? Especially a lie that you made up. If you knew that you really stole Jesus' body and you stashed it out in the, out in the wilderness someplace, uh, and then they come and they were going to crucify you upside down as they did Peter or, or, uh, force you to walk off the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem like they did James, would you die for a lie? I'd say, no, no, no. Hey, hey, we stole the body. We just stashed it out there. Uh, hey, you know, no, they knew that Jesus really did raise from the dead. And it was an undeniable fact that he did. And so this is one of the great things that we have. And by the way, John, it wasn't that they didn't try to kill him. They boiled him in oil before they um, exiled him to the island of Patmos. Uh, the Romans were very superstitious. In fact, Paul talks about that in the book of Acts when he went to Mars Hill. They were very superstitious. And when they boiled him in oil and he didn't die, they thought, well, we better not try to kill him again. We'll just exile him on this island of Patmos. And that's where he got the vision of the book of Revelation, where God revealed to him what was going to happen in the last days. And so he says here, then the other disciple who came in the tomb first, again, that was came to the tomb first, John went in also and he believed. Verse nine, for he had yet not known the scripture that he must rise again from the dead and the disciples went away again to their own homes. I think this is a kind of an unusual verse that they believe, but they didn't really get it. I, I think that's the way it is a lot of times with um, people who, who look at the Bible or claim to be religious in some way. They, they read the Bible, but they don't get it. It's very obvious a lot of times what the Bible says. As an example, we already talked about that in John 3. Jesus said, you must be born again. People look at that, psychedelicize it, think about it, wonder what in the world could this possibly mean? Oh, it must be some way of new, of looking at life or whatever. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he'll not see the kingdom of God. We need to be born of the spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, religion always offers a way to do that. Now, it's not real but they'll try to offer you a substitute by going out and doing religious stuff, by, uh, you know, helping blind dogs across the street, doing charitable deeds, selling flowers in airport and wearing blue. 
Well, none of those things are going to get you right with God. None of those things will cause you to be born again. Do you know what's really strange about, about being born again? It comes from simply asking God to born you anew by his spirit. Father, put your spirit in me. I recognize I'm not right. I need your help. God says he'll come and he'll change your life. And so that's what's really great about that. It is possible as the disciples walk with Jesus every day, saw innumerable miracles, heard Jesus say, I must go to Jerusalem. I must die. Peter even said, no, Lord, you don't go to Jerusalem. You don't have to die. You see, they didn't get it. See, the problem is sometimes it isn't till the Holy Spirit really knocks us upside the head and says, hey, this message of the gospel is for you. Think about the things that maybe keep you awake at night when you lay your head down on your pillow. Those things of your past, those things of wanting to be loved, wanting to love, the ability to love. A lot of people, they don't want to get married because they don't think they have enough in them to love this person that they're getting married to. So it's really kind of an interesting paradigm when we we see the frailties of man, we see it in ourselves, yet uh, oftentimes we'll just say, well, I guess I have to live with this. That isn't what God says. God says there's a new way to live and a way different than you've ever lived before because you've allowed God to come into your life and to, for the first time in your life, understand why you're here. And that's what God wants to do. See, this is why Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know all what hell is, but I know whatever it is, it was, it's so bad that Jesus gave up all the worship of heaven, all the, the adoration of the angels to come and be born in a dirty manger, to be treated shamefully by mankind that he created, to be crucified on a cross, and then to raise from the dead so that we, none of us, none of us human beings have to die and go to that terrible place. A place that was really originally made for the angels, which kept not their first estate living in heaven, but they went and they rebelled against God. But if mankind wants to rebel against God, he will get the same eternal reward. In the book of James, excuse me, Jude tells us that they will suffer the eternal vengeance of fire forever. So Jesus did something that we couldn't do for ourselves. He came, died in our place so our sins could be forgiven. You know, you think about it for a minute. You know, it doesn't take very many to wreck something. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, you can have a, a great party going on and you can have some person going in there and they can wreck the party for you, either because they're violent or they're loud or they're obnoxious or they're drunk. Have you ever noticed how one person can wreck a lot of things? How one person on a freeway on their cell phone can cause a 12-car pileup? Have you ever noticed how one person can do a lot of damage? Well, imagine this, that those one people multiplied many times in heaven, in an old sin nature, what that would do to heaven, it would make it the same as it is here. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. You have to put on a new nature. 
Paul says we put on Christ. We put him, we wrap him around us like we would a, a, a garment or a coat that we would wrap around us. We're now in his righteousness. God changes the way we see things. And what we once knew, even before we were born again, we go, that's not right. Now God gives us his spirit to not only say that's not right, but to do something about it. If you're not born again listening to me today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what you did last week, last year, last month, five, ten years ago wasn't right. And you know, you think a lot about it because it haunts you because the way we've lived our life in our past affects the way we live our life today and in the future. So what does God do then? God takes, the Bible says, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Now again, John, the rest, they understood, uh, or maybe I should say they heard Jesus talk about him dying on the cross, that he was the Paschal Lamb to take away the sins of the world. But I think for many, just as the disciples, it kind of went in one ear and out the other until it finally becomes real. Well, as we read on here, we're going to see the reality of Jesus raising from the dead. So we go back to the Bible, verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. But as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white setting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus was laying. Now, it's noteworthy here that John and Peter didn't see any angels there. But Mary did. Now notice it says, And she saw the two angels setting. Now I I think that's uh, important because they were there. They weren't um, pacing the floor in nervousness. They were just relaxed, setting there. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. Hmm. I wonder why that is. Well, you know, it's um, noteworthy, I believe, in Scripture. That first of all, it said it was early in the morning, so it could have still been dark, as it says, um, while it was still dark, verse 1. Um, so it could have been shadowed, but something else I think is really important. It seems that almost everyone had a hard time recognizing Jesus after he rose from the dead. Now, I believe there's a reason why. We remember Thomas said, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose from the dead unless I place my fingers in the holes in his hands and thrust my hand into his side. Now, the reason he said that is because the Roman guard threw a spear into Jesus' side and the Bible says water and blood came out. He said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands and in my side. We remember after Jesus' road, a little bit after what we're reading here today, Jesus appeared behind locked doors to the disciples and Thomas was there. And Jesus goes up to Thomas and says, here, and he showed him his hands and feet. He said, put your fingers here in the holes in my hands and thrust your hand into my side. And Thomas fell to his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. Now, why is that significant? Well, because again, when we study scripture, the marks of the crucifixion were still in Jesus' body after he had risen from the dead. 
The Bible also tells us that he was blindfolded, that he was beaten blindfolded, and that his beard was yanked out. The Bible tells us that he had a crown of thorns shoved down on his head for hours. Now, the reason why I believe that's important, I don't know how many of you have ever gotten a bad thorn in your hand and it swells up. Or if you've ever fallen and hit in your face or been in a fight and, and noticed the swelling and the black and blue and the puffiness and all those things, why one side of your face can be even unrecognizable. I believe this is exactly what happened to Jesus. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5, when the strong angel holds up the title deed to the earth, and I believe that's what that scroll was, and as Jesus begins to pop those seals off of that scroll, cataclysmic things break out on the earth. But John says, I wept because no one could take the scroll. No one in heaven, no one under on earth could take that scroll. And then one that stepped out like a lamb that had been slain. I think that's interesting that I think someday we as Christians will see how badly Jesus not only was beaten and bruised for us, but also the marks in his hands and the mark in his side, what he paid to redeem you, his bride. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's almost a love story that you would read about that this man, so in love with his bride, the church, would do anything for them, and he did. And I believe when we look at Jesus someday and you're going to see the disfiguration and the swelling and the puffiness. And I have been to being a pastor for 40 years. I've had to go to um, uh, the morgue and, and do identifications on bodies and, and things like that. And I know sometimes it was hard to recognize them after their uh, face had hit the steering wheel and, and things like that, that I hardly could recognize them because of the swelling, because they didn't die instantly. And and the thing is, they were all disfigured and it was hard to recognize them. The two on the road to Emmaus, which we, if we were to read on here today, you'll read they didn't recognize him either, except when uh, he broke bread uh, with them and probably saw the holes in his hands. Uh, we remember the disciples on the Sea of Galilee had trouble recognizing him. I believe Jesus was so badly disfigured not a bone in his body was broken, the Old Testament tells us, and there wasn't, but he was so disfigured because of the swelling, because of the thorns, because of the blindfold and the beating, because uh, uh, all these other things that happened to him, the coat of nine tails laid across. And by the way, when the Romans would beat somebody, and by the way, people say, well, you know, Jesus would beat 40 times minus one for uh, mercy, and, and there's 39 different kinds of diseases in the world, and no, 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 no. That's wrong. Jesus was not beaten by the Hebrews. He was beaten by the Romans. And Romans didn't have the 40 minus one rule. They just beat a person till, they, till you were about an inch from death. That's what they did. And they didn't care where that coat of nine tails landed. Whether it landed on your back, wrapped around your neck, hit you in the face, it didn't make any difference because they were really there to kill you. And so when you stop to think, Jesus could have had many more than 40 lashes. And when we stop to think about the swelling and all those things, then carrying a, 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 the crossbeam on his back up to uh, the place where he was crucified, 
and all the rough wood rubbing into all the, the open wounds on his back and across the back of his head. And, and, and no wonder they couldn't recognize him. You see, he was, he was beaten so we could be healed. In the book of Peter, Peter says, by his stripes were healed. Friends, today, Jesus uh, not only died so you could have eternal life, he, he was beaten so that you could be healed. What do you need to be healed of today? Maybe it is a physical ailment. Maybe you're watching this and you have, uh, have uh, uh, the coronavirus. Maybe you're watching this and, and you're in a wheelchair. Maybe you're watching this and, and then you have cancer or some other thing. Just know this, by his stripes, we're healed. Can God heal you instantaneously today? Yes. Does he heal everyone? No. I don't know why. But I do know this, that someday in heaven, you're going to get a brand new body that's not going to have the problems that this one has. And you're going to have a brand new life with him forever. So just a little while longer for all of us. And then we'll be together with him forever. And Jesus' body was broken so we could be healed. And I want you to know that you are a very complex individual. Nobody's ever been like you ever before on this earth. No one's ever been like you ever, and nobody will ever be like you ever again. You're very unique in all the things that you've gone through to make you who you are. Those things are what God wants to use to lead others to him. You see, we comfort one another with the comfort that we've received, the scripture tells us. What God's done for others He'll do for you. And what God has done for you, he'll do for others. And you see, when we, when we live in that hope and that promise, it changes the way we look at life. It isn't strawberry fields forever. It's where we actually have an eternity with God forever in a beautiful place. John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you're going to be also. So what we find is we find that God's going to not only um, prepare a place for us, but we're going to get to live in that forever with him. And that's a good thing. By his stripes, we're healed. Jesus was beat unrecognizable, friends. That's why I believe Mary didn't immediately recognize him. But we'll read on here a couple of other things. And so he says, verse 13, and it says, why are you weeping? And she says, because they've taken my way, my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Now, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. I don't know how this woman was going to put Jesus on her back and carry uh, him away, but she was convinced that she could do it. Um, and Jesus said to her, Mary. And when he called her by name, she recognized him. Couldn't recognize his physical form. It was badly damaged. Um, again, Thomas was proof that those holes in his hands and in his side were still there. But when he said Mary, 
She knew his master's voice. I pray today, you know your master's voice. And God calls your name and says, hey, today's the day. Yeah, the world's a crazy place right now, everyone. Jesus said, when you begin to see these things happen, look up, your redemption draws nigh. I believe we're in that time of the last call. The world's never been like it is right now. People have said, oh, they have said the Lord's coming back for thousands of years. They don't even realize they're fulfilling scripture because that's exactly what the Bible says. Since our fathers fell asleep, all things remain the same. No, not so. Heard an article this past week. They said that most of the African nations will be completely bankrupt by the time this virus is done with them. Oh, America, we threw $2 trillion of money we don't have to stimulate the economy and try to save our, save our, our economy. But the thing is, is that they, people have said it's going to need a lot more than $2 trillion. And they're already talking more stimulus packages of money we don't have. We're already $25,000 in debt now. No country in the history of the world has ever been this far in debt. And so when you stop to think about all those things, you look at Italy and Spain. They don't have trillions of dollars. They were about bankrupt when this virus hit them. What's going to happen to their economies? You see, I believe we're quickly moving towards a one world order, that this is what the Bible says. And an individual, the world's going to hail as the man of peace is going to rule over the world, except the Bible calls him the Antichrist. And though he speaks like a lamb, his purposes are that of a dragon. And the Bible says the world will enter its last seven years of time under man's futile efforts to govern himself as these things unfold before us. But Jesus said, he said, I'm going to come and take you home. And I pray that if the rapture came today, that word caught up that we find in the Bible, when the caught up comes, I pray you're ready to go, that you'll open the door quickly to his coming. Because you see, friends, we're in very perilous days. Jesus said before the tribulation begins, there's going to be perplexity among nations. If you get an old King James Bible, that word perplexity means problems with no way out. He said it's the beginning of sorrows. And when we look and we see the numbers of how many tens of thousands of people have died, that's going to pale to the 200, excuse me, 2 billion people that will die by the end of the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6. Not to mention the rest that will die. And by the end of the tribulation period, two-thirds of the world's population is dead. So we're, the, man's humanity, we're, we're not on the dawning of the age of Aquarius, friends. We're on the, we're on the, on the brink of God's judgment on this earth. I pray that uh, you go in the caught up, that you're not here for this terrible judgment that's going to come upon the world and God dealing with the nation of Israel, that final seven, 70th week that in the book of Daniel talks about, and all things will be completed. Well, he said, Mary. And she recognized him. She knew who he was. Notice it says, she turned and said, Rabboni, 
which is to say teacher. Now, the word Rabboni here is interesting because the word Rabboni is the highest level of teacher in those days. Rabbi was the lowest. Rabboni was the highest. And so she calls him Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Then Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but I go to my brethren, go to my brethren and say to them that I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Now, I imagine when Mary, hearing Jesus's voice, put a bear hug on him that probably squeezed the air out of him. I believe she probably grabbed it. And that's why Jesus said, don't cling to me. Don't, don't squeeze me to death. I've not yet ascended to my father, Jesus is saying. So the idea here is that he's not yet ascended. That comes later on. We find that he's taken up in, in the clouds. And so we, we know that, that he's witnessed by many people to seeing alive. And in fact, in one place, he showed himself to 500 people. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken to her these things. Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting that God chose a woman to tell mankind that Jesus had rose from the dead. You know, a lot of times women got kind of a bad rap back in Genesis because Eve ate of the tree. Well, here God let woman declare to the world that he's risen. I think that's kind of neat. I think Jesus was the original uh, set women free person in the world where he allowed her to carry this great message. You see, we serve a, a risen Savior. And this morning, I, I, I pray that you understand that he's alive. And just as Mary brought that message to the other disciples saying, hey, he's alive. Hey, I saw him. I talked to him. I hugged him. <laughs> Literally is what that being clinged to thing means. Uh, he's not yet ascended to his father. He's, he was going to. But, you know, God has that place for you and me as well. I pray today that you understand not just that you've heard about Jesus raising from the dead, but that you understand that he rose from the dead for a reason. And that reason was to demonstrate that he had power over death and he has the authority to give you and me life. Wow. I need that. What does a dead person need? What's a person dying of coronavirus need? We need life. And only Jesus is the life giver. And even if you can beat whatever virus might be out there, Whatever ailment might be out there, whatever threat might be upon you, eventually we're going we're gonna to leave this earth. And I believe that this, uh, that we read today, and you can read on the rest of John, our time is about gone, but you can read on the rest of John and you can see how Jesus revealed himself to his beloved disciples, how he gave the great commission to go preach the gospel to every creature. No one is beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, preach the gospel to everyone, not just those that are predestinated or whatever. There's a lot of really screwy doctrine out there. But Jesus died for everyone, for God so loved the world. He loved you that he sent his only begotten son 
that whosoever, and that would include you and me, would believe in him, would not perish, but we would have eternal life. What a great promise. The only known cure for death. That's what we celebrate today. The only known cure for death. If you believe that, well, I just believe that when you're dead, you're dead, there's no life after, then really, what's the point of anything? If you really stop to think about it. Why is it that the Bible was so clear in uh, Luke 21 that Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled? I always go back to this prophecy because it was a ridiculous prophecy when Jesus said it. When Jesus said that in Luke 21, Jerusalem was under Roman control. Then in 70 AD, because of Israel's rebellion, a general named Titus, a Roman general, leveled the city of Jerusalem and burned it with fire. Destroyed. And Jesus said that Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. It's been trodden down, and it was, until 1967 when Israel got both halves of the city of Jerusalem. They got half the city in 1948. They got the other half in the Six-Day War in 1967. Last year, our president declared to the world that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, fulfilling Bible prophecy. Amazing. Exactly what God said. I believe... We're in the very last days before the tribulation begins. My prayer for you is that you understand, not just in your head, but you understand in your heart what God wants to do in your life. He's going to bless you. He's going to increase your horizons. And the thing is, I'm not saying you're going to have everything you want. That's what a lot of goofy doctrine out on TV is about. That's not what we're talking about. But God's going to use you to reach a lost world. Maybe your coworkers, maybe your family, maybe the people next door, maybe people a pastor or a, a, a Sunday school teacher will never talk to. See, but that's what God has for you. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray. And you can ask the Lord to come into your life. That you'll know that when Jesus comes, when Gabriel blows that trumpet that we find in Thessalonians and, and in, in Corinthians and Revelation chapter 4, that trumpet saying, come up here, you'll be ready to go. You see, there's nothing I can do to be right with God. All I can do is ask God to make me right with you, and God does that. See, it's a free gift. What do you do for a gift? You just take it. And I invite you today to take that gift of eternal life. Jesus demonstrated he had power over death, and that same life he wants to give to you today. If you've never prayed or you're a Christian listening to this and the things right now in the world have got you absolutely scared to death, you need to pray this as well. And you need to come home to Jesus and you need to let your light shine. Now, how do you do that? Well, God, you changed my life. Uh, I've got a real purpose now and I'm going to do what you want me to do. And the Bible says he will. If you've never prayed, let's pray right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I invite you into my life today. And I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. Thinking that I was going to find something that was going to define life, to make it meaningful. I'm sorry. From this day forward, I want to live for you. 
So born me again by your spirit. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. And so write my name now in your book of life. So I can live forever with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I'll have boldness to speak of you. And love to tell my friends and my neighbors about you. And Lord, thank you for redeeming me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, welcome to God's family. Begins with a prayer, but God will show you your whole life is goodness. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. All you got to do is uh, Facebook us, text us, call us, whatever. I'll get you a Bible. A little believer's handbook called uh, Time to Grow, which covers a lot of the, the things, questions that a lot of times people have. Um, we'll be having a baptism as soon as we can have a baptism. If you're not in this area, look for a church that believes the Bible. Use the little book, Time to Grow, to find a church that, that, that covers those topics. There's a lot of bad stuff out there today. Jesus warned about that. But going back to the Bible, line upon line, precept upon precept, the way we study God's Word is so important. And then be in fellowship. Be in fellowship, and I know it's hard right now, but you can be in fellowship with your family. Those people that you are close to, you can be in fellowship with. And just let God bless you, heal you, and restore you. Now, if you are a Christian, I just want to encourage you, let your light shine. Boy, the world's dark. The world is groping for answers. They don't have any. Some of the top thinkers in the medical world were gathered in room this past week, and they just looked at one another saying, we've never seen anything like this before. I want to just encourage you, be about your daddy's business. Great is your reward in heaven. You're going to be blessed forever. The Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. Point him to Jesus. Point him to CSN Radio. Share your testimony, what God has done for you. Read the Bible to him, whatever it takes. Be about your daddy's business. You're going to be blessed because God, in fact, has put his anointing upon you for such a time as this. That's great news. And so until we're together again, may the Lord give you a wonderful resurrection morning, Easter morning, and may you remember that someday soon we're going to be with him forever in heaven. Hand out those invitations to go to heaven because, again, God's given you the ticket books. Here, want to come to heaven? Want to go to heaven? And just share the gospel with them that Jesus died for this. You don't earn it. It's something God gives you. And so let him give you, your friends, that eternal gift of Jesus Christ as that life will change them forever. Father, today, may you just bless every person listening and may your Holy Spirit remind us that we can't just hear it as the disciples did, but we have to believe it. And so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit transform us in these days and for such a time as this. May we be about your business. May be glorified. And Lord, may we reach out to every person we see in Jesus' name. Amen. And so from the River Christian Fellowship, on this resurrection morning, I just want to say you may have a blessed, blessed day, blessed week. And again, be about your daddy's business. And by the way, we win. I read the book. God bless you.